1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunière, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. Welcome to Art Slice, a bonus serving of art history. I'm Stephanie Duenas. I'm Russell Shoemaker. Listeners, we know y'all were expecting Bernini this week, but this is a little something to tide you over. Our beloved cat, Frankie, who we've had for many years, but who is way too young, passed away this weekend unexpectedly, and we're bummed out. Listeners, uh, we couldn't finish the episode, so we needed to, you know, take some time. She was a big part of our family, and she had a big personality. Yeah. She was patient and chill as fuck unless you were a best dog. Faces best faces. Oh, best faces. Oh, yes. Yeah, actually, she had an Instagram, Three City Kitty, if you want to check it out <laughs> on Instagram. Anyway, you were fucked if you were a vacuum or a dog. Okay, it was off yeah. Speaking of vacuums, she was a good judge of character. Yeah. She was never wrong about anyone that she hissed at. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and when she set her mind to something, she didn't stop. Actually, the pantry mods are based on Frankie, who I caught once scaling the kitchen cabinet, <laughs> the highest kitchen cabinet, <laughs> because that's where we kept the treats. And she just wanted those sweet, sweet treats. It, it sounds cliche. We learned a lot from her in her temperament and how like chill she was and how like motivated she was. She was oh, great. God, yes. So so, listeners, hug your animal friends, hug your human friends, squeeze them extra tight, and enjoy this Patreon content, courtesy of Frankie. We'll be back next week. So we have one extra serving of Agnes Pelton from episode 20 in the future from 1943, and a set of bloopers and cutscenes from Hilma off Lentz episode 14. Frankie. 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 This is just for the patrons. Los Patrones? Los Patrones. That's not, no, that's not right. I'm sorry. We're moving to Mexico. I'm ready. What are we, what is going to be your Mexican name? Russo? Yeah. You're going to be Russian? Ruperto? Ruberto? Ruperto? I don't know what I'm I just. going to be a Roberto? Raul? I don't know. Russell? Russell? Yeah. Raskel? Fred? Alfredo? Alfredo? No. no, we don't want that. Why not? I don't want that name. Okay, fine. We're going to find someone else All for right. you. Okay. Jackson. So, okay. Cleveland. What? Bad names. Bertrand. Bertrand? Bertrand. Bertrand. I like that better. Okay. Okay. So, listeners, this is a perfect time to introduce you to Agnes's work. So, briefly, we're going to dive into Future from 1941, Oil on Canvas. It's about 30 inches high by 26 wide, so not too much bigger than mm. your standard canvas size you'd buy pre-made at an art supply store. I, I call those dimensions, like, almost square. Squ- yeah. Like squares hard to work with compositionally. So you see a lot of like almost squares, myself included. So this painting was made about 10 years after she arrived in Cathedral City. And while Agnes was making abstract works, she never really abandoned representation entirely. Right. This painting, it's loaded with imagery from the desert and yeah. specifically from Cathedral City. Mm-hmm. 
Most obviously, the desert earth, the mountains, and the abstract version of that cathedral city archway, which I heard was torn down overnight to make way for Jeff Bezos' yacht. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> Sorry, that was pretty a dumb joke. Pretty much. It was an archway that was bullet riddled. Agnes That's often. Not why they tore it down. Well, maybe. Maybe it was like kind of precariously starting to like lean in. No, basically, someone wanted to move a yacht through it, basically. Okay. Yeah. In the desert. Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't going to fit through the archway. Sure. Let's tear right. the archway down. Yeah. Duh. Jeff Bezos' father. Grandpapa. John Bezos. Agnes <laughs> often uses a lot of competing movement and gestures, sometimes subtly, but here's it's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. It keeps your eyes away from the center of the canvas, which is where this pastel hypercube cross just kind of floats. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. And I hate to say this, oh, Stephanie. Oh, God, what? I don't like it when things remind me of Mr. Salvador Dali for some reason. I just don't. He's a good painter. Okay. No offense if you like okay. him. I understand. He, he's he's a gateway artist for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Uh, but his, like, what is it? His He has a hypercube crucifix painting, right? He does. But it was, like, years later. It was years after yeah. this. Anyway, the top of the composition is split almost like you're parting two veils. Mm-hmm. And these are mostly diagonal shapes, which tend to push your eyes out of the frame. Right, but you dip back in through a desert sky gradient near the last third of the top. Mm. Then there is a doodle shape that looks like it came straight from the (laughs) margins of homework, work documents, a sketchbook, (laughs) uh, like a a Zoff's zigzag. Yes, a a Zoff's zigzag. A Zoff's zigzag. So sometimes it curls, but it carries you down to the bottom of the composition where you see the curvature of the dry desert earth. And, okay, this reminds me of a time where I had to pull over and do do a (laughs) pee-pee. In the, in the middle of that like, is not surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I got small bladder. In the middle of uh, the desert salt flats, I think we were kind of close to Death Valley or maybe Mojave. I don't know. Salt flats. Yeah, well, I had to go, dude. <laughs> but I was so distracted by like you could see the curvature of the Earth, kind yeah. of. I, at least I thought so. And the in the mountains in the distance, so I kind of like I, I peed on I pee peed on my shoe a little. Bit. <laughs> It's also really windy, okay? Okay. Blame everything else. That's fine. You didn't just drink too much water. Um, You got to stay hydrated (laughs) in the desert. I know. Okay. All right. Anyway, so for a while, your eyes follow the EKG line of the of the mountain, mm-hmm. but those two kind of lead you off the composition in either direction. It's really hard to just focus on what is happening in the center, which are those cathedral city gates, but those pillars are also blocking you from that pastel hypercube cross mm-hmm. because there is a stanchion, a velvet rope stanchion in the way, presumably with an invisible bouncer somewhere, um, <laughs> but it's not your typical velvet rope. It's it's a pixelated chevron line. Oh, yeah. And it looks like the invisible bouncer is just now lifting it because you're on the list. And that <laughs> velvet pixel chevron rope is out of the way. Yeah. And you're in. You're yeah. in, baby. You're in. But also yet another distraction in the single shining star in one of those veils. Mm. Okay. Immediately reminded me of Giotto. Giotto. Who we covered in our last episode. But this is an actual glowing star. It's not Halley's Comet, a yeah, flaming ball of fire. Yeah, it's what the comet should have been, probably. <laughs> he got creative. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah. No, I like the comet. The circular composition, is it's really here to keep your eyes spinning. It's basically a bouncer in and of itself. So that <laughs> is what keeps you moving from the desert floor up through the gel pen gesture mm-hmm. to the star, back down. But yeah, it's also kind of blocking you from that hypercube cross. And what is really interesting about Agnes's work here is that it sits between abstraction and representation in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. One is that it literally has mountains and the heat cracked and puckered earth. Earth. 
<laughs> the second is that the, the abstraction is like hyper-realistic, right? It's carefully rendered very purposefully. Yeah. It's not at all spontaneous, Mm-mm. not even a little bit. It may look like it's been painted using like an airbrush, but it's, you know, it's all oil paint oh, and God, brushes. It's all oil paint and brushes. When we accidentally happened upon an Agnes Pelton a couple weeks ago, just a lucky coincidence. Very lucky. It was really revealing. There is a ton of color yeah. in these. Yeah. Like so much, but but it's lots and lots and lots of thin layers. Beautiful glazes. And they're so thin and glazy <laughs> that you can see the texture of the canvas. You can see the yep. weave of the canvas. That's how thin it is. It's very thin. And because it was painted in the mid-1900s, this would have taken her a really long time. Right. Okay, she would have had to have planned out all of these thin layers and allowed them time to dry before she could even think about starting a new layer. Don't even, don't even think about the dust. Oh my God, the dust oh, getting oh into the studio. Yeah. The sandy dust. I didn't think about that. Oh no. Jesus, that would be a nightmare. Jesus. So there are some (laughs) other ways that the composition wants to bounce you, right? There are competing gradients in every segment of this work. And there are bright glowing earth tones that look like an oncoming headlight or or dust or like a snowstorm that is picking up and reflecting the sun's rays back at you. I believe that's actually called afterglow when the sun Uh. hits the particles in the earth's atmosphere. But it gives it this like luminous quality. Mm -hmm. It illuminates, right? And it further separates the segmented composition. I'm not really sure how to feel about this. Like, I feel like I'm standing in a valley between two just huge mountain ranges. Right. And there is a deafening silence. Like, it's been vacuumed out of the air somehow. This has really happened to me. So it's bringing those feelings back. Yeah, yeah. When we were in Mono Lake, right? You you remember you talking about that. It's so silent. Ish. Mono Lake-ish. Yeah. 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 It's terrifying, but it's also like you're in awe that this is even <laughs> a possibility on the planet Earth. Yeah. Like, yeah. Things just like echo differently. It's it, it's interesting, right? Or they don't echo. I, I kind of feel like I'm walking through that valley that you're talking about in that weird vacuumed silence. And then I turn a corner and I run into this like experience that I'm not supposed to be a part of. But yet the bouncer's mm. opening the gates for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, do I walk in? Did I accidentally take some LSD? Is Johnny Cash there as a fox? Telling me to find find my home, find my <laughs> Homer, find my soulmate Homer. <laughs> Oops, our timer's going back. Perfect. Back. Perfect. I feel like we're looking back while also looking towards the future. A little bit of both. Beautiful. You're beautiful. So are you listeners. <laughs> Stephanie. Yes. Do you remember Baroness Hilla von Riebe McIntyre? Oh, yeah. I believe she was the director of the Museum of Non-Objective Painting, the Monop, and she was Peggy's Uncle Solomon Guggenheim's art advisor and probably Peggy's sworn enemy. Yes, definitely. Okay, well, so she had this former automobile showroom that she turned into a museum slash temple for abstract art. Do you remember that? Yeah, definitely. It was kind of like uh, if you see a church in a strip mall where there used to be a Kmart and they like, you know, they took the old sign and they like kind of wrote Christ, like Christ Mart on it. <laughs> There's like a, tri- you know, a cross kind of crossing out the old Kmart. Yeah. But yeah, we all, we all know it's we'll there. Well, Stephanie, if you don't, you can go back and listen to our last episode when we talked about her. Okay. Well, I do remember. Okay. Well, the so, Baroness okay. Hilla, since you don't remember, she had a purpose <laughs> she was working towards. She thought of abstract art as this mystical language. 
She wanted people to come into the monop and connect to the artworks almost in the same way you might walk into a temple in order to have like a spiritual experience. Right, right. For Hilla, who was also an artist, now mind you, she was actually an abstract artist, traditional representational painting, it could like tell the story to the viewer and that was all fine and good. But abstract art, that was that was something else. That was something different. Abstract art was for the spirit and for the mind. Mm, do you remember that? I sure do. Okay. Well, if you don't, the Baroness was actually influenced by theosophy. Theosophy was a product of the unique time it was created in. With travel becoming easier, globalization slowly starting to emerge, we started to learn more about other spiritual beliefs, spiritual beliefs from other countries. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, science was making all these major breakthroughs. So this is about the time when x-rays became well-known, when evolution was saturating into the mainstream. And then even quantum mechanics and the fucking atom, they're just right around the corner, basically. <laughs> what? Adam's like, you know, what everything is made up of. (laughs) So this expansion of what was possible in the world would influence theosophy. And in turn, theosophy would be an enormous influence on the development of abstract art with a capital A. I would actually argue that abstraction itself has been around for much longer. But I'll keep those views to myself for now. Okay. Okay. All right, so so the monop, Stephanie, <laughs> since you don't remember, okay. just wasn't the space for communion with the spiritual. I mean, it had that like cult name. It had that edgy repurposed strip mall vibe. <laughs> but the cramped automobile showroom just it wasn't going to do. She wanted an immersive experience. She's a baroness for crying out loud. She's a fucking baroness, <laughs> Stephanie. You don't give the baroness an automobile showroom. <laughs> you give her flank. <laughs> you give her flank. flank I could always say this. Flank Lloyd White. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you give her flank steak. She's not going to settle for chicken nuggets. Like, <laughs> All right. Frank Lloyd Wright. All right. So he was chosen as the new architect for the new Guggenheim Museum in New York City. New York City. The Baroness had a direct influence on his design. We'll have to dive into Frank Lloyd Wright a little later. We could probably do a short on him, but he's yeah. a big deal at this yeah. time. So it's it's a pretty big deal to be able to snag Frank Lloyd Flank, blur, blur, blur. <laughs> Flank steak, right? <laughs> okay. For those of you who haven't been to the Guggenheim, you walk in, it's a completely open dome-like shape. Instead of the stairs and elevators that you would be used to in a typical museum, there is one ramp spiraling around the museum walls. It kind of looks like the inside of a rib cage. Oh, yeah. And you're working your way towards the top of the dome, which is kind of skylit. The building itself is blistering white. Perfect for the Baroness's temple. I mean, this is what she wanted. This is what she envisioned. There weren't any steps to break your concentration. Just thousands of people. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You can walk. You can look at the art. You can walk some more. You can look at more art (laughs) until you've reached the top. So for people who had never experienced non-representational artwork, you start on that spiral, right? And as you spiral towards the ceiling, you're actually spiraling towards an understanding of what you're looking at. And with each stop, you're evolving an understanding of non-representational art and how that speaks to you. The Kunstergarten. Oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> so weird it goes out of my mouth like that. No. So Hilma, she was actually making money from illustrating. She was exhibiting her paintings, and, and not the paintings we're here to talk about, but some very nice landscapes. We actually have one right here. She was exhibiting them all around Switzerland. 
So this one is called Summer Landscape from 1888. What? Not Switzerland. What did I say? Switzerland. Oh, Sweden. <laughs> Shit. Sorry, my people. Okay. Wait, am I sweet? I'm Swedish. Yeah, oh my God, baby. I'm getting them confused now. It's like, that's all the same. No, it's, it's not. It's all the Stop. same. Stop, baby. Nice countries to live in that won't have you. All right. <laughs> But Hilma was fearless, so she accepts and she begins to cleanse her body so it can be a vessel for this okay. commission. All right. Okay. She spends a whole year in preparation. Okay. She becomes a vegetarian. She hones her medium skills. Okay. She hones her medium skills okay. and takes several periods of rest, knowing that this is going to be a long journey. I'm just glad animals aren't involved. Okay. Okay. Amalil, take the wheel. Amalil, take the wheel. Whoa! Do it again. No. Do it again. Uh, no. <laughs> no. We'll just replay it. What's next? So, so how did Our Lady Hilma hone her artistic skills, you're wondering? Stephanie, are you turning Hilma off Clint into a saint? Is that the, the Our Lady thing? I think it's happening okay. like, naturally. All right, so should I have just not brought it up? Probably. Just let it occur naturally. Like evolution. All natch. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> all natch. That's the first time I said all natch. <laughs> I love it. There we go. Perfectly natch. <laughs> I love it. 